welcome to the Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast. We're brought to you every week by our sponsors, PrecisionHydration.com. You can personalize your hydration strategy today with electrolytes in different strengths that match how you sweat. You can get 15% off your first order with the code OxygenAddict15. And we're also brought to you by Thriver.co. Take health tracking to a new level with your personalized at-home finger prick blood test. You can use the code OxygenAddict10 for 10% off all subscriptions. Right, everybody, welcome to the show. Hope you're well. Hope you're good. Hope you are feeling good. It is, oh, in the UK, it's like week six of lockdown, and people seem to be going in two directions. We are either starting to crack a bit mentally and start to feel a bit down and have some down days, or we're starting to feel extremely positive about the future and starting looking for new opportunities. So if you're one of the former, I just just know it'll, it won't last forever. You will get through this. Those periods of feeling really down affect all of us. They've happened to me quite a bit over the last week, but they're very brief. They do pass. And I've got to be honest, I'm feeling really positive about the future today. I've done a bit of a bike session just before recording this. Had a run this morning. So uh, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. And I'm ready to give you bit of triathlon inspiration today, bit of motivation, hopefully, to get yourself back on the uh, back on the turbo, have a ride, and start to uh, start to lift that fitness and start feeling good about yourself. Right, today's show, I've got two interviews for you. Um, the main interview today is with Marco Altini, PhD. He is the guy behind the HRV for Training app, which, if you haven't used it, HRV or heart rate variability is like the secret key to your body telling you whether you are fresh and refreshed and ready to train hard or whether you need to relax and refresh and give your body some extra training time. It's got some amazing stories of studies that have been done around the difference it can make to only train hard when your body's ready to train hard versus training hard just when your training schedule says so. He'll talk about this in the interview later on, but believe it or not, when they did a controlled study, one of the groups, they trained according to their training plan and they went hard when the plan said, regardless of how they felt, and they went steady or easy the rest of the time. The other group, the only difference that they had was if their HRV said don't train hard today, they didn't train hard. They just did an easy ride. They didn't replace it later in the week, didn't swap it with something harder. They just skipped that hard workout for that day. And at the end of the study, the people who had been in the HRV group who had listened to their bodies were putting out more power on bike time trials and were running faster on running time trials than the other control group who'd done more hard work, more harder intervals. So pretty eye-opening study. It amazed me when I looked into the details of it. And Marco's done an amazing job of putting together not just a great app that's really simple and works from anybody's smartphone. It just uses the camera on the back of your smartphone to take your HRV. You just put your finger across the back of the uh, camera lens. Um, He's done a great job on the app, but also around educating people and turning what used to be a very complicated and hard to understand science into an app that just basically tells you either, yes, your body is good and ready to go today, or no, you need more rest and recovery today. So we'll talk more about it later, but it's well worth looking into. We've also got an interview with Ian Hamilton, who's the race director of the Outlaw series. Um, There's just been an announcement made about the Outlaw full distance event. So Ian's come on the show to talk through the ramifications of his announcement regarding uh, the date for the outlaw full distance race so we'll have that a little bit later on so just looking around the world and what's going on in terms of triathlon at the moment first up it was uh, version five of the ironman vr races this weekend
weekend. And I want to give a shout out to Joe Skipper. Joe um, absolutely nailed it this weekend. I think someone posted uh, an Instagram message to me this morning of his power file. He put out 360 watts for two hours to cover the 90 miles, uh, the 90 kilometers on Ruvi. I think it was 93% of his threshold for those of you who understand power numbers. So <laughs> pretty staggering there. No surprise that he's won that with those kind of power numbers being put out. So nice work there, Skipper. Next shout out goes to Joe Duckworth. Now you'll remember I mentioned Joe last week or the week before. Joe is the previous winner of the Lakesman. Great guy. Um, early 50s, so not your average winner of an iron distance event. He's a super, super fit guy. He's a firefighter by trade, and Joe is raising money for the NHS by doing 10, de- 10 Ironman events indoors in 10 days. He's replacing the swim with an hour's row, then he's riding 180k on Zwift, and they're doing a treadmill marathon. His daughter sent me a message through on Facebook this morning. So the updates came through. He's on day four, and she said he's doing okay. He's, uh, his feet are falling apart a bit. Feet are a mess from having run three marathons in three days, but he's in pretty good spirits. So far, he has managed to get this. Get your head around this, everyone. Uh, day one was five hours 30 for the bike. Day two, 4.57. Day three, 4.58. And he's closed the marathons out in 3.27, 3.27 and 3.44. So pretty solid work from Joe there. If you want to support him, go and check out his challenge over on Facebook. He's raising money for the NHS, like I said. Um, let me just find the, uh, there we go, justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash joe dash duckworth one he's raised three and a half grand so far with a target of 10 so i think that's well worth getting behind and giving the boy a bit of encouragement nice work joe keep it up mate who knows maybe you're even listening to the show as you're pounding out the miles on the treadmill very impressive stuff um Next thing to mention, we had a bit of a press conference from Ironman and Ironman CEO Andrew Messick talking about what's going to go on with Kona qualifying, Ironman races, and the 70.3 World Championships this year. So the long and the short of it is, at the moment, here's a quote from him. Qualifying for Kona is at a complete standstill. We've got 3,000 of 6,000 athletes qualified for Taupo and 1,000 of 2,500 athletes qualified for Kona. The qualifying challenge becomes more acute with every passing day that we don't have a qualifying race. What they're proposing is essentially that there's been no movement yet on what's going to happen with the 70.3 world champs in Taupo. But I can't imagine the New Zealanders being very keen to have loads of people fly into their islands, given the fact that they seem to have done an incredible job of nailing themselves down and getting their reinfection rate back down to pretty much down to zero. So there's no news on Taupo yet. However, the news on Kona is they're suggesting running the 2020 Kona in February of 2021. So there'll be a 2020 race in February and then the 2021 race is going to happen in October of 2021 like it usually would do. That's what they're suggesting at the moment. How that'll pan out in the real world, I don't know. I think it's an extremely busy time of year for tourists in February in Hawaii. Um, But there's precedent for it. They held two races back in 82 when it first moved over from the Big Island. So so who knows? Keep an eye on this one. And there's always the chance that they're going to run it in February and they're going to fill it with legacy athletes. So yeah, 
Watch this space. Interesting times. Okay, so what we'll do now is, um, obviously, Ironman UK already cancelled in the UK at the moment, leaving the one big race that's still on is the Outlaw Full Distance Race, uh, scheduled for 26th of July. So I thought we'll get race director Ian Hamilton on and we'll get him to talk through what is going on with that. Okay, so we've got Ian Hamilton back on the show. Ian's race director for the Outlaw Series. Um Lots of people having lots of disruption in their working life at the moment, but I can imagine it isn't a huge amount of fun at the moment, Ian, trying to organize events for thousands of people and being at the mercy of, uh, well, the mercy of everything else that's going on, really. So so first up, how are you doing? How's, how's things been over the last uh, six-week period for you or so as a race organizer? Uh, I think it's fair to say challenging. We've done... <laughs> uh, so I think this is my... This will be my 30th year as an event organiser and obviously sort of 10th, 10th year, 11th year, sorry, as, as, as in the Outlaw series. Um, and somebody once sort of like said very quickly within a, within a week or so, the uh, pandemic that we're now in, um, it's never happened before. It's all a learning curve. Um, we're going to make mistakes, but hopefully we will ultimately make the right decisions. Um, and that basically sums us up as as we are at the moment. Um, we are still learning. Um, unfortunately, we're not doing any event organising. That's the sort of that's the downside, and that's what me and the team really enjoy doing. And so we're having to make decisions on when we cancel events, how we cancel events, um, what happens in 2021 when. Uh, when's the appropriate time to try and fix dates for 2021 um, whilst we've got no conclusive evidence that things might not be happening um, in a few weeks time yeah we're talking about May the 11th as being a date when we start to be unlocked but we still have no idea about what's going to happen with um, mass gatherings and that sort of thing and there's I'm now sitting on more for now I'm now sitting on more committees and working groups than I've ever sat on before. Um and it's if it wasn't that our business was is in serious jeopardy, then it'd be really good fun. It's a great learning curve. But the reality of the situation is um you know it's tough, seriously bloody tough at the moment. And so we have to make decisions now that we will endeavour to uh, do correctly they're going to affect us for two years at least two years if not three years before from a from a business point of view um to wear back on the right track yeah so so far you've already had you should have had half outlaw nottingham half outlaw holcomb and the new half at bowwood have all been cancelled um and and the event on the horizon at the moment is the full outlaw nottingham that's due to take place on the, the 26th of july isn't it that's right i've got my dates right <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah no, no, that's cool. um so give us an update on what's happening or your understanding of what's most probably going to happen with the full outlaw nottingham at the moment because that's really your your flagship full distance mm. event isn't it yeah um and so i think there's there's me as ever the optimist and there's me with a with a reality hat on um from an optimistic point of view I'm still looking at trying to put the event on. Um, and there's a lot of talk about people have not done enough training and that sort of thing. So we've looked at 
sort of what, what other options there are. Um, I see an opportunity and there's no other full distance events potentially going to go ahead this year, um, certainly up until June, July, August time. So if Outlaw happens, then I think we need to put Outlaw full distance on. Um, however, I'm realistic that that might not create enough, um, we might not get enough athletes in that. And so I'm looking at the opportunity to actually do a half as well, if we can, um, and how it works. And so some of the some of the, the nice work that I'm doing is about getting permissions in place for that to potentially happen. Um, so that's the enjoyable side. And that's me with my uh, glasses half full, optimistic hat on. Um, there's then the one, there's the, the other version that sits on various committees at the moment about the future of the sport and um, things like that, that basically says outlaw probably isn't going to happen. Um, and so we've got to be realistic and give our athletes the opportunity, from my point of view, give the athletes the opportunity now um, to defer until next year. Um, because some haven't done any training, they're key workers, so they're working every hour, God send. And there are potentially some that have got the coronavirus as well. And so from that side of things, we obviously put an, out, an email um, out that basically said, whenever you entered, whoever you are, you can go into next year. There's no, you know, just to let you know, worst comes to the worst, then that's what can happen. Um, there are some people that, from a financial point of view, are in a different position, and so they want some money back, um, and so we've extended deadlines so they continue to get a greater amount of refund um, for the next few weeks, and hopefully that helps people. Um, from my point of view, the... Um, our costs aren't about medals and T-shirts and finish bags and that sort of thing. The reality is our costs are um, rent, Google adverts, adverts in 220, um, all of the things. So we've got a huge layout that's already happened that that isn't going to come back. Um, and so we're trying to balance things that so Outlaw 2021 does exist, but also Outlaw 22 will exist. Um, and it's quite, yeah, it's it's difficult and we're trying to, um, we're very open, you know, if people phone us now, they, they the phone is actually sat on my desk, um, you know, so we're people that do call us. Um, it's been it's been nice talking to an athlete, so I've got some really positive feedback. Um, and so that's been, that's been good. Uh, but it's, it's a difficult decision, not one that we finalised, but we've, we've explained that our expectation is that very, very really sadly outlaw probably won't happen this year okay um from a from a business point of view obviously it's a totally unprecedented time the fact that all of your events for an entire year could easily end up being essentially deferred into next year um what kind of a position does that put you in as a business financially if you're looking at effectively having to you know, spread one year's worth of income out across two whole years. I imagine you've got a whole load of staff on full-time wages as well. Um, you've summed it up correctly. Literally, we will have one year's worth of income and two years' worth of expenditure. Um, will the business survive? Hopefully. Um, have we had to make some really horrible cutbacks and made some really decisions and, and made some really decisions in the last week 
to ensure the set to ensure the business survives. Yeah, and it's horrible. Um, it's it's strange because we're a business that people so people use us in their fun time there, and they you know they will enter an event, um, and that's hopefully the goal. But it's it's their passion and it's their um, I guess it's their hobby. Um, but the business that I run is a, is a commercial business. It's been going 30 odd years. Um, but it only takes what's happening now to actually potentially end it. There's no two ways about it. Mm. Um, and we've, we've looked at how can we downsize anymore and still actually be able to answer the phones and answer emails and update our social media and that type of thing. Probably not. Mm. Um, at this precise moment, we haven't got an ops team now. Unfortunately, the people that work in ops have had to be furloughed. Um, so, yeah, I we, we don't know, um, but it's certainly it's a it's a it's a, it's a two year um, calendar that we're now looking at to to make sure that we've got events in twenty twenty one. We we're not planning on using any some income we have to use from this year, um, and sorry to pay for rent leases websites etc but all of our event costs will obviously be into next year yeah yeah okay and then in terms of um the full outlaw going ahead i think as we record now we're about 12 weeks away from full outlaw happening when do you i mean i know it's a difficult question to answer this but when have you got like a deadline in your head by when you're going to decide whether it's on or not or something like that i think from our point of view it might be decided for us. Okay. Um, we might get an idea of um, no mass gatherings um, for the next X amount of time. Um, at the moment, the venue's closed anyway, so we can't actually, we couldn't put an event on if we wanted to because the venue's, the venue's closed. Um, and equally so, the sport triathlon is banned by British triathlon. Mm. Um, so, and that's until the end of June. So if that's happened, if that's, is extended to the end of July, well, then that means outlaw won't exist either. Yeah. Um, no, I, I love, and strangely enough, I'm waiting, I'm literally waiting for within reason somebody to say that can't happen because all of the, so SAG, so safety advisory groups aren't sitting at the moment. Um, so I can't go to a SAG to get advice um, from a highways point of view and road closures, um, there's no issues. There's no cars on the road, so they have right. no problems with it. Yeah. Um, but you know, looking at it from a practical point of view, from an athlete's point of view, from a volunteering point of view, um, I wonder how it actually can happen. Um, yeah. Um, but there is the potential, and whilst there is the potential that you know it could happen, then I'm happy to to, to push things forward. Because I'd like it to happen, and that's the thing. Um, I, you know, it's, it's really difficult. We we're getting, we are literally getting. Let's say we get ten phone calls a day. There'll be five that say, "I want to do something because mentally I need it, physically I'm I'm capable." And then you get the other fifty percent that say, "I'm working. I'm a key worker. I'm, you know." working 20 hours a day etc etc so mm. it's such a it's, a it's a difficult thing from our point of view to make to make that decision um and it might be taken out of our hands and if it's taken out of our hands then you know 
then it's the decision that's made for us. Yeah. Okay. Um, and obviously, end of the season, you've got Outlaw X, uh, the half distance on the on the horizon down there at the end of September. Again, I suppose that's just going to be under the same sort of advisement that it's so hard to make a decision looking forwards, isn't it, right now? Because we just don't know what the situation is going to be in, in two weeks, let alone four months. No, exactly. The, I'm really hopeful about Outlaw X. I'm hopeful, A, because... It's within 20 minutes of where I live. Um, so it's a venue and a road that I know unfeasibly well. It had a really good start to last year. Um, it's capable of taking lots of athletes. It's in the centre of the country. Um, it's Whilst it's in the centre of the country, it's also sort of in the middle of nowhere, so we won't be affecting um, any of the... Uh, locals or anything like that it's a self-contained venue so we would be able to we've talked about if we're doing social distance and we've talked about the ability to um put racking in for more people so that there's there's lots of space on the racking we could we've got a whole day at the venue there's no limitations from a, a road closure point of view so we could literally race from six in the morning till nine at night um you know if we need to do a um a staggered start and all that type of thing. So I'm, I'm really hopeful about Outlaw X. We've, we've looked at sort of modifications that we need to make and we can make all the, those modifications there. So it's, but hopefully it's going to happen. Um, again, if it doesn't, that'll be predominantly because somebody's telling us it's, it's not possible. Uh, but from a social distance in, in sports point of view, it's one venue that I'm really hopeful that, um, if we're allowed to race there, we can do that. Um, not all of the venues are the same, um, but we've gone through all of the scenarios and Outlaw Rex venue works really well. All right. Well, that's a great update. Thanks very much. Fingers crossed then. It's, uh, it's a situation of lots of hope and reality <laughs> on laid on top of it. So uh, we'll see what happens, I guess, Ian. Thanks very much for joining us for the update on what's going on with the Outlaw. Thanks, Rob. All right, so uh, at the moment, I guess it's, it's it's really no news is no news no news is good news. I don't know whether that's a phrase I'm looking for. It looks like it's they're still planning on it going ahead, bar being told by the government that it can't go ahead, or being told by British Triathlon that it can't go ahead. My personal opinion is I think race organisers are in a in a sticky position at the moment with the government moving in in three week cycles and giving guidance out in three week cycles. It's impossible for race organisers for anybody to be planning you know that far into advance, and it makes it incredibly challenging for athletes to be training for an event like Ironman where you know realistically. You going to need about 12 weeks worth of training to get from a you know a half decent base of fitness to get yourself into a position to finish a race like the full outlaw um personally i think you know people's hands are tied from what i understand if an organizer cancels the event then insurance is invalidated but then um obviously they want to do what's right for the racers as well we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds so on the one hand i think it's easy to sit here and go well someone should just make the call and cancel the race on the other hand if there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds on the line and it looks like you know the government or the governing body might cancel the race in a few weeks time you can understand why nobody wants to blink first essentially so Will it go ahead? I don't know. I think in my heart, I, th I feel it's unlikely that Outlaw is going to go ahead in July of this year. But it sounds like, the, you know, 
entrants are getting free passes into the race in 2021. So that's a positive to come out of it at least. Brings us on to Coach's Couch, really, and the idea of what to do about training for events this summer. And the advice I've been giving to my athletes is this. It's to, to basically look at the reason why you're doing this event. I'm saying to a lot of our athletes, if you have the opportunity to suspend these races that are happening in the summer into next year, like you would with the Outlaw, that's my advice at the moment. Postpone it into 2021 when the world will look much more, hopefully, much more secure and we'll know what's going on a lot clearer. If, however, for whatever reason, you're still planning on doing your race and it's you know midsummer like the Outlaw, 12 weeks or so seems to be about the minimum that I would recommend that it's going to take you to get from... You know, let's say you've been maintaining your base fitness with three bike rides on Zwift a week and one longer one of 90 minutes. You can probably go outdoors and ride two and a half, three hours without problems at the moment. And that gives you enough time to build over 12 weeks to get yourself to get yourself into shape to finish your full distance outlaw event. Similarly with a run, if you've been ticking over and your long runs an hour, an hour 15, you'll be able to ramp that up from an hour 15 quite sensibly over the coming 12 weeks to get to the point where you've run, you know, two and a half, three hours, a couple of weeks out from race day. That'll be enough to get you around with a sensible run walk strategy. I think at this point, people need to be realistic and suspend hopes of doing personal bests this year. I think if you're going to go and do an event like the Outlaw, if it does turn out to be on, treat it like it's a celebration of the fact that you've got to do the training along the way. You enjoyed the training and you did it because you enjoyed doing the training rather than sometimes feeling a pressure to have to do the training for the sake of getting out and doing the training, essentially. Um, The guys I coach... So we're roughly 50-50 split, I think, for the people who are entered the Outlaw this year. About half of them have said, I'm going to defer to next year. Four or five have said, I'd like to be put onto a plan that's going to get me into shape to do the Outlaw should it happen. And again, everything's got to be flexible. I think the world might look very different again in three weeks' time or in four weeks' time when the next set of government guidelines comes out. But it's just so hard to see how a mass participation event like that is going to go ahead with the social distancing needing around, you know, the logistics of racking and transition and putting your bags there and all of that kind of stuff. I think that's the harder thing to manage for race organizers than just the logistics of, is it safe to ride on the roads and and run around the paths in Nottingham? So, so bear that in mind. Now, going forwards into 2021, we've we've been getting requests coming through about coaching, and it surprised me actually. Obviously, we didn't know what was going to happen with with the whole coaching industry. It surprised me how many people's inquiries and consultations I've had over the last three or four weeks with people saying, you know, taking us up on the offer that we had of getting a month's worth of structured training for a pound. People are taking the long term view, and that shouldn't surprise me actually. Triathletes are good at planning. They're good at looking into the future. They're good at making the best of a situation and getting done what needs to be done. So people are starting to take a long-term view and saying, right, I'm interested in training now, getting into some structure in a sensible way, guide me what I can do at the moment. And then as the restrictions ease, we'll we'll move on to a more solid training plan type of deal. So that got me thinking, and and we're going to do a special offer during the month of May. If people join our coaching team in May and take out an annual membership, we're going to extend the annual membership 
all the way to the end of September 2021. So essentially, you pay for 12 months in May and you actually get it extended for an extra four or five, whatever that is, depending on when you join. We'll extend the membership all the way through to the 30th of September 2021. So essentially, no matter what happens with this year's races, if they get postponed into next year, even if I'm on Wales and Weymouth 70.3 get postponed into next year, you'll still have the structured plan and the guidance to take you through all the way through to 2021 as a bit of a no-brainer. Now, obviously, you know, hands up, there is a bit of a commercial aspect from this as well because I'm trying to get athletes in and I'm trying to keep the business alive at this end. So if you are considering coaching at the moment and you've been put off by the uncertainty, hopefully that's enough of a sweetener for people to think, do you know what, that's a really good deal to get that extra four or five months added on and get guidance all the way through from now where we are all the way through to September of 2021, the end of September 2021. Um, Yeah, so if you're interested, there'll be a link in the show notes. Um, You can either just click on that link if you're convinced and you want to join up, or there's a link there you can click and you can book a call with me and we can have a chat through things and talk about where you are and, uh, and how we can best get you to where you want to be in 2021. All right, so let's have a little look at sponsors this week. We need to give a shout out to Precision Hydration. Remember, those guys have got an offer on at the moment if you use the code UPSKILL to get the Precision Hydration course on hydration as part of the Training Peaks University. You get it for $10 instead of $100. If you're doing lots of indoor training at the moment, you've really got to be keeping on top of your um, hydration needs, which means balancing your electrolytes. You'll be sweating a lot indoors, even if you've got the fan blowing over you. And if you find you're struggling with cramps, even if it's not happening during the ride, if it's happening at night afterwards, it's a really good lead to the idea that you're not replacing as much sodium and salt into your body as you've lost during that sweaty session. I've given my experience before. These guys have changed my athletic life. I couldn't train indoors without having precision hydration in my bottle. I get hideous cramps, sometimes even on the bike as I'm riding, but definitely in the night. My toes lock up, my feet lock up, my calves lock up, and it's agonizing. So every time I'm on the turbo, I've got the precision hydration 1,500 milligrams in my bottle, and that replaces all the electrolytes that I lose. They do different strengths to match how you sweat, and if you're not sure which one you need, they've got a simple online sweat test you can take just answer a few questions and it'll tell you all about it so get over there and check it out at precisionhydration.com and then just before we go into this week's interview of the week if you want to have some blood tests done at the moment and you don't want to go to the doctors you can have it done at home with thriver.co for uh, you can get 10% off their subscriptions at the moment using the code oxygenaddict 10 but basically they'll send you a pack out through the post it takes five minutes from opening the box to taking the test to seal in the bag to take it back to the post box so it's that simple you do a little simple finger prick into your finger you squeeze out five to eight drops of blood into this tiny little test tube you put a little plaster on your finger you seal up the test tube you write your name on the little label and you stick it into a bag and post it back and you can personalize what tests you have done so for athletes you can have your iron levels tested testosterone liver function vitamin b9 vitamin b12 vitamin d in fact all of the vitamins if you're more general, more generally interested in your health, you can have your thyroid function looked at, 
diabetes, cholesterol, omega-3 and omega-6. All of these things are something you can take care of now when we're in lockdown and you can alter your diet to get the level of those things right in your body so you can be sure you're working at the optimum levels. Okay, so thriver.co and use the code OxygenAddict10 at checkout for 10% off all subscriptions. All right, so I mentioned him at the start of the show. We'll go over to this week's interview of the week with HRV for Training founder Marco Altini. Marco, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you for taking the time to join us today. I'm, I'm really excited to have you on because HRV is one of the hot topics at the moment. Um, it's something that isn't easily understood by most of us. And um, I think the concept of it is something that we all buy into and think, wow, that's great. There's a magic number that'll tell me whether I'm recovered or rested or not. Um, but when you actually get into using it, the things are a little bit more complicated than that. So uh, so anyway, first up, look, thank you for joining us. How are things with you? You're in Amsterdam at the moment, right? Yeah, correct. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, I hope I will be able to shed some light on, uh, on HRV and how to use it effectively. I'm sure you will be able to because I'm starting from a baseline of, of pretty much zero. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a bit about your background then. You've first up you're the you're the guy who originated and developed the HRV for training app. And yeah. and anyway, having used that for close to six months myself, I think you've done a really good job of turning the the really complicated numbers that you know the the sort of RMSS squared type tiny tiny chunks of time or what the hell does that mean into a number that actually makes sense to a human brain so so start off tell us about your background and, and how you came around to to developing this app yeah so um i have a technical background with degrees in engineering and computer science and a phd in data science but all my work was always um applied to let's say interpreting physiological data collected using wearable sensors and this started uh 10 12 years ago when we had you know just some prototypes of sensors that you could put on your body to measure you know cardiac activity and things that were uh, you know not so user friendly but still the data was um what triggered my interest you know you know you can process this data to understand something more about the body in terms of fitness in terms of stress all these parameters uh, and then, you know, with technology getting better and phones getting better and the, the smartphones coming up, uh, Bluetooth technology becoming, you know, easier to interact with. Um, I started working on technology that people could actually use, for example, using an app, you know, so that we would not just do research uh, with these platforms, but we could actually develop something, you know, that you put out there and people use to collect data and learn, uh, you know, how different stressors impact them. Um, how you respond to different training and that, that's basically what motivated you know HRV for training and in particular at that point um, I've developed this technique to measure heart rate variability using the phone cameras so uh, you know something that, that at that point does not even require a sensor which makes it you know much easier especially when it's something you have to do first thing in the morning and you don't want to you know wear a strap and go to the restroom and you know wet the strap and do all that process and it always feels way too cold right yeah 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 totally (laughs) nobody wants to put a chest strap on first thing in the morning today exactly so that's how it started a few years back uh and then uh, yeah we continued from there validated the camera based measurements as something that is as good as an ecg or a strap 
uh, and then started working on you know the analytics on top of that. And as my interest went more into sports science, then I've done also another masters in uh, human movement sciences and high performance coaching, which I'm finishing this year uh, here in Amsterdam. So that's a bit uh, my background. Yeah. Okay, cool. So there's a there's a lot to dig into there. Let's let's kick off firstly then at its most basic level. What is HRV? How would you describe it to athletes and, and why is it important to them? Yeah, so HRV, um, well, basically refers to a way to um, compute the difference between heartbeats. Um, and, well, let's talk about why that's important. So basically, uh, this is the most effective and non-invasive method that we have to capture stress. And this is simple because, you know, uh, the autonomic nervous system and, you know, how your body responds to stressors uh, is something uh, that regulates heart rhythm. So, you know, the autonomic nervous system responds to stress and it changes your heart rhythm in response to these stressors. And that's what we measure, your heart rhythm. So, by doing that, you understand how your body responds to various stresses. And that's, I would say, a bit of the basic principle here. Uh, you know, as your body doesn't really know if, you know, your stressor comes from uh, training or from some other stressor, which might be, you know, due to lifestyle or some psychological stressors. All stressors affect the autonomic nervous system in a similar way from this point of view. Yeah. Uh, and that's why, you know, yeah, these metrics then, then become relevant because you capture this overall market of stress. Okay. So I'm going to give you my basic understanding of this. And I want, to, I want you to tell me whether I'm right on it. <laughs> so <laughs> our heart doesn't beat in a regular rhythm. There's tiny variations between each time it beats. And now let me get this right. The more stress you're under, the more regular your heartbeat gets. Like, Perfect. Is yes. that right? So yeah. what, your, what your clever little app does is it measures the variability between each heart rate. And that's a really accurate measure of how much stress you're under. Correct. Okay. And so, I mean, when I started looking into this, firstly, I remember looking into it about four or five years ago originally with another coach who was really into it. And I just couldn't understand the data, the the measurements and the, the tiny, like you're talking like 0.0001 of a, of a second in the variation. And I was looking at it thinking, firstly, I'm too stupid to understand this. And secondly, it just looks too complicated to have any sort of meaningful impact on day-to-day life. And I almost kind of put it on the shelf and went, I'll think about that later. And then luckily you've come along and you've turned it from what looks like a very complicated science into something that my very slow little brain can understand. And instead of getting a readout from the app that says, you know, this is the, this is how variable your heart rate is. You just get a number out of 10. And so I wake up in the morning, I get my phone, I stick my finger on the back of the phone on the camera and that's all it takes. It's one minute of having my finger over the back of the camera phone and it gives me a number out of 10 with a decimal place where a higher number is less stressed, more recovered, more ready to train and a lower number is the opposite of that and it gives me a real good reading as to whether or not basically I'm I'm ready to go, I'm ready to train, I'm ready to train hard or long every day. Is that about is that about the right sort of layman's terms? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think, uh, you know, there are different points here uh, we can talk about. I think uh, we made uh, a lot of progress in terms of, you know, days of use of the technology. So obviously, 
you know, in the older days, maybe you had to go uh, to the lab or you had to use, you know, some equipment that took yeah. like several minutes to take a measurement and things like that. And then g- would give you, you know, a series of HRV numbers. That's also something that is always misunderstood because, you know, HRV is, is, is uh, let's say, this variability between bits, but then you can quantify it in many different ways, right? You can get okay. a whole bunch of what we call features or basically just numbers that represent your HRV. And yeah. I think in the past, you know, five to 10 years, the sports science community uh, kind of settled on one of these, um, which is uh, a clear marker of parasympathetic activity. So, you know, again, of a branch of the nervous system, which is the one that represents better recovery and rest. Uh, and that's why, you know, a higher value is associated to a more rested state or a state in which, in theory, you're, uh, you know, ready to perform because a higher value means more parasympathetic activity in this case. Um, so it starts from there, from the fact that finally we decided that, okay, this is the feature we're going to use and this is how we represent HRV. And I think at this point, many different products start from there, which is good because, you know, we don't all use some sort of different metrics as it was done in the past or it is often done in research, Um, but things are way more consistent. And then, you know, we start from that number and we just make it a bit more uh, user-friendly, but it's just a transformation that allows you indeed to, to get something in the decimal scale because, you know, we are human beings and we like that. So <laughs> it, makes yeah. it, it makes it much easier, yeah. So and that, that's, a, you know, a starting point. And then the other, the other point that is important is how you use this number, right? Even just um, on a day-to-day basis, how do you interpret it? Because, again, in the older days, maybe we just could not measure every day, right? We would measure maybe before a training camp or, you know, three times during the season. And I think that's not really an effective way of using these metrics because, you know, this is not a VO2 max test or a lactate threshold test, you know, something that you do to track progress. This yeah. is really something you use to track stress continuously as a sort of feedback, you know. You want to act on this feedback continuously and then, you know, what you optimize in the long term is not HRV itself, but its performance. So. Uh, by using these tools daily, now you get a much better idea of, you know, what are your daily scores this week, how much these scores change specifically for you. And that way it's easy when you have a, a score that is particularly low for you to understand that there is just more stress in this moment for you. And then you can make changes, um, you know, to adjust for that, for that additional stress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that was something that I think... I've I've learned over time as we've been looking at groups of our athletes who are using it originally like first up well done on on coming up with a decimal scale out of 10 because it makes it so easy to understand if you've got a score of 9.8 and 9.7 and 9.8 and then the next day it's 7.3 my brain can look at that and just go oh well that's obvious then in a way whereas in previous versions of looking at HRV it just wasn't as obvious was it and I think your app does a great job of especially if an athlete, we can get them to measure it daily, every day. You can get a really nice track across time and it it becomes really obvious where their individual normal everyday range is and where one of their big drops happens. Yeah, And I think that's something that took me a while to get my head around that it's kind of different for everybody. And everybody has a like a normal level of their variability between like an upper and a lower range. And then when it drops really low, it 
it becomes quite obvious it's outside of the normal range. Whereas again, initially looking at it day by day, it can be quite hard to to sort of see the picture from above, can't it? But the athletes we've had who've used it have been, they found it really, really useful as a, firstly, as a backup. It's, it's very often been a kind of, do you know what? I woke up this morning. I'd had a terrible day yesterday at work. I was really stressed out. I felt really crappy this morning. And when I took my HRV, it had dropped by two and a half points. So I decided to do an easy training session rather than a hard one. And it's almost like it's a, it's a quantifiable piece of science that gives them permission to back up what they already know, which is I'm not up to a hard training session today. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, the, the fact that you can get some objective feedback, I think it can be useful um, on, you know, at various levels, especially I think in the context of uh, being just a bit more aware about stress and indeed understanding when it's time to slow down a bit. Uh, at the same time, it can be useful, you know, when working with athletes uh, as, you know, just something you can use to start a conversation, you know, around what is going on, right? Because yeah. maybe you have a plan and everything is going well. And then, you know, at a certain point, you start seeing values that drop, particularly showing that there is stress. And, uh, you know, as a coach, you might not know everything that is going on in the athlete's life. But, you know, then you have uh, something that you can use, you know, to, to try to dig a bit deeper and see and see what is happening and then use that information. Yeah. Okay, so so one really interesting thing that came out of this for me was initially I started looking at it as a kind of great HRV is going to tell me the days that my athlete is not up to a hard training session, and we can kind of swap the hard session out for an easier one and, and perhaps move it to later in the week when they're feeling better and the HRV is recovered, or maybe not replace it. And that's great. I think that's a very that's a very sound principle. But the other thing that's been really noticeable with this is. I assumed that training was going to be the major thing that was going to affect HRV and almost would be looking at it. And, and, and it's like, yeah, yeah, sleep and stress and family arguments, they all play a part, but it's how hammered they are with training that's the most important thing to how they respond to training. But it looks from the HRV readings that, that actually all stress is stress and work stress, life stress can have just as much an impact on an athlete's ability to do a hard session as training stress can. Yes, certainly. And, you know, if, uh, if you think especially about, um, you know, good athletes or athletes that are really used to training uh, daily and to sustain decent volumes of training at that point, the training stressor is not even the bigger stressor. You know, when, when everything is going fine, you expect their physiology to be perfectly normal, even if you do, you know, a hard block of weeks of hard training. Still, you know, if that's what you do, because, you know, it's your job or simply because you are used to it and you've done it for many years, uh, you want, you know, things to be in your normal. You expect physiology to be normal. You don't expect necessarily any drops in your HRV. But then when other stressors come in and, you know, they... They, they they have a role in uh, you know in what what's your capacity also to handle additional stress and then you could see drops there and then you know that's something that is typically a warning because 
again, our capacity to handle stress is limited. So if you put the typical high volume, high intensity training of, you know, good athletes together with all other stressors, then you get in a situation in which, you know, again, your parasympathetic system is impaired um, and you are also at higher risk of, you know, all sorts of issues from, you know, just burnout to overtraining to injury because, you know, you're just, um, your body is not handling stress well uh, anymore at that point, which mm. is, again, why these markers uh, of stress are useful because you capture really the full picture and not just training related stress because, you know, otherwise you already have TSS or everything that you need, right, to quantify training. I think that's that's where it comes in is that you put it together with these other metrics uh, and to see how, you know, an individual responds to that. Yeah. Now, one thing that I found really interesting when we talked before, you mentioned a study where two groups of athletes were compared. Do you remember telling me about this, where, where yeah. one was entirely led by HIV? Will you talk us through that study? Because I think, I think the athletes listening to this will find that fascinating. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this, um, two separate studies, one in, uh, out of Finland and one in Spain, one in runners and one in cyclists, in which uh, both of them, uh, in both of the studies, the the goal was to test um, HRV guided training in the context of uh, performance. So these two groups, uh, one group would follow regular periodization. So in any case, you know they would have plan consisting consisting of some hard sessions and some easy sessions. You know as we all know, and the other group. Uh, would actually have the same plan, but would make adjustments based on their HRV. And in particular, when their baseline HRV was outside of what the, what's their normal values, you know, as you as you talked before, like this sort of band of you know where you, your physiology is uh, expected to be on a day-to-day basis based on your historical data. You know, if when your baseline is outside of this, for example. It could be that, you know, for a couple of days you had very low scores and you know, there is a lot of stress on your body uh, and it might not be an ideal moment to put, uh, you know, a lot of intensity uh, in a workout. So that's exactly what they did. So in this case, when the baseline was outside of normal, they would just scale down the intensity, you know. So if they had a hard session, they would say, okay, let's just do a moderate session. If they had a moderate session, they would do an easy session. So that's what they did basically in both studies. Uh, and the interesting bit is that, you know, at the end of the study, obviously the group that was HRV guided had um, a few uh, less, you know, in- intense sessions because uh, sometimes they had to skip it. You know, they still did it a few times, but, you know, when physiology was not optimal, they skipped it. Uh, and yet both groups, you know, in the cyclists and the runners, the HRV guided had better performance at the end of the study. So I think this is, you know, a good insight because it tells you that it matters when you go to apply a certain stimulus and it's not just the plan, but also when your body is is ready to take, you know, that that kind of stimulus and adapt to that in a way that is positive in the longer term in the context of performance. Yeah, and I think that the jumps from memory, it was something like the running group had a 5% increase in their performance and the cycling group, and that was over, the cycling group had a 40 minute time trial, didn't they? And it was a 7% improvement, even though technically they'd done less hard training along the way in the block, they were 7% better than the group who, the group who had trained just according to the plan, regardless of whether their HRV dropped, 
didn't show any improvements. It's almost like that idea of just get the training done no matter what. Who knew? <laughs> that isn't yeah. the right way. To, who knew? <laughs> Listen to yeah, your body. Exactly. and you, Yeah. I find that really, really interesting. Now, you mentioned there that they skipped the intensity. A lot of our listeners are long distance triathletes, 70.3 and iron distance. What sort of guidance can we see around duration of training? Is it a similar thing? If I'm thinking, for example, a really busy professional who's traveled a lot during the week, has worked a lot, has been up late, has missed sleep. They've got the five and a half hour ride scheduled at the weekend and they get up and they're absolutely shattered and the HRV's dropped. What what would the guidance be there in terms of duration of the training? Yeah, so I think in general, really what we've seen in most of the studies is about intensity. So, you know, you just wanna, don't want to give that hard stimulus. Uh, but I have not seen, you know, um, research looking into volume particularly okay. in this. Um, my guess would be that, you know, normally what I, what I do even personally or what I tell people to do in this case is really just to keep the intensity low, maybe even lower than what's, you know, your typical aerobic long session that you would do. Uh, because, you know, you know, your body is already stressed and, and probably tired. Um, but that kind of session, uh, I would still, I would still do it and just, you know, scale down a bit the intensity if you have your heart rate or power zones, whatever you think it's useful for you to do in, uh, you know, a zone two, maybe you do it a bit less, you know, yeah. uh, just because you don't want to still at the same time, you know, that your body is telling you that there is a lot of stress, so you don't want to, uh, overdo it. But, um, yeah, I think that that would be, um, uh, a good way to do it. And, uh, at the same time, you know, there is always the, the daily score and, you know, the baseline, these two aspects that we, we touched on briefly. And, you know, when you look at the baseline, it simply means that you look at your average of the week instead of just the score today. Uh, yeah. And looking at the baseline normally is, you know, a bit more informative because you capture, of course, a, a trend in stress, which is a bit, uh, you know, longer term and a bit more the big picture of what is happening in your body. So it could be that you just have a low day today because of, you know, a number of reasons and it's not going to impact your training. But if your baseline is going down and, you know, that means that there is several days in which stress has been significant. And then for, for sure, I would I would say it makes a lot of sense to try to scale down intensity and, and take it easier a couple of days to avoid, you know, just longer recoveries. Yeah, nice. So let's talk about your app a little bit then, because the way it looks on the screen, we'll take our HRV first thing in the morning. And like I said, it's dead simple. You just put your finger over the back of the camera, you lie still for a minute and, and job's done. And then on the screen, it gives you today's score. It gives you yesterday's score and it gives you the baseline score, which is your rolling average over the last seven days. And so the three of those numbers together form a really good picture for what's happening right now and what's happening as a trend over the last seven days. And it sounds like that's what's important, the long-term trend as much as the day-to-day the day-to-day drop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the first thing is really the most important probably when you start is just to do it right in terms of the morning routine, you know, because again, anything affects your physiology. So you don't want to, you know, take your measurement after you had coffee or even after, you know, you read your email or your social media, something upset you and, you know, probably you you can feel it that, you know, you get all red and your, you know, blood flow and everything. And it's like, 
that's not a good moment to measure, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, take it easy, your morning routine, you wake up, um, ideally you're still lying in bed, relaxed, uh, take the phone, take the measurement, it lasts one minute, uh, it's pretty easy, just breathe naturally. Uh, and that's how, it, that, that's how you start collecting data, which is, you know, uh, a protocol that is based on what was done uh, in research in the lab, you know, when you had people coming in, um, and then, you know, rest like half an hour because, you know, they were coming from home and driving or biking and it was all sort of confounding factors, but it's actually much more reliable now that you can do it at home because you avoid all of that. Yeah. Uh, just, just make sure to do it, you know, at the right time, every day consistently, and then you start accumulating, you know, your scores and, and see how things are trending. It's going to take a few days, uh, before you get anything useful out of it. Uh, again, because there is nothing to do with absolute values here, you know, comparing your score with your friends, like it's something that gives you no insights because everybody is different and you just want to look at how stress is changing over time for yourself in relation to, you know, all the stressors that are present in your life. So training, lifestyle, anything that is uh, affecting you. You will capture it that way. Uh, and again, as you said, you see the daily score, you see yesterday's scores and the baseline. So uh, seven days moving average of uh, how things are trending for you. And once you have even more data, then we start building what we call these normal values, which is basically two months of your prior data, which is used to understand what's a normal day-to-day -day score for you. And, you know, when your daily score is outside of this normal, the app will tell you. And, for example, will highlight that there is more stress today and it might be a good idea to, again, lower intensity or, or do something that gives priority to, you know, recovery. Mm. Okay. The other thing that's interesting is you, you collect a lot of subjective data as well, straight after taking the measurements. Talk to us a little bit about the other things that you, you ask questions about and why that's important in the same context of how ready to train we are. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, uh, as you said, we are always looking for this, you know, number that tells us everything about what we need to do, right? About yeah. training and everything else. And there is no such a thing, right? HRV is a useful marker of stress, but you have to combine it with other things. And two, the two, I would say, most important things uh, for an athlete would be, you know, subjectively how you feel and your training load. So that's what is captured in the app right after the measurement. There is a short questionnaire. Uh, where you enter information about, you know, your sleep quality, your motivation to train, uh, your muscle soreness, things that uh, are relevant but not directly captured by the measurement. At the same time, there is, you know, you can pull information about training from Strava or Training Peaks, so that you get also that information, and then you will be able to have, you know, basically what we call context around your measurements. So you don't have just your data points, which are, you know. Uh, hardly interpretable, especially after a few weeks or months, you know, you don't remember exactly what was happening those days. But then, you know, with all the context around it, uh, and, you know, your subjective data and, you know, information about when you traveled, or when you were sick, when you raced, all of that will help you making sense, also retrospectively of the data you collected and, and potentially make changes for, for the next time. Mm. Yeah, okay, that's, that's really interesting. So the idea of, you know, asking people, were you stressed yesterday? Have you traveled a lot? Are you sore this morning? What strikes me about this app is, although it, it started grounded in science, 
it's very much more in in the art of capturing what what else is going on in an athlete's life and i really like it because often an athlete will come to me and say you know this marker of you know you said before tss is up or my ftp's improved a scientific number will kind of validate in an athlete's mind that training is working but the coaching part of the relationship is often finding out what's going on in the job, in the family, what's creating stress, have they slept well, and trying to give context to an athlete. And almost, I don't want to even say give permission to the athlete to have an easy day. Sometimes it's as, it's as hard as saying to the athlete, I want you to have an easier day today for these reasons. And often the type A personality will reply with, yeah, but I don't want to do that. I want to I want to go hard. I'm I'm willing to do the training. I want to break 10 hours at Ironman Austria. I should be going hard today. And the thing I love about your system is I, I kind of feel I've now got a scientific sidekick saying to me, no, no, like the science says you'll actually be faster in 10 weeks time if you go a bit easier today than if you than if you push on really hard today when the numbers don't say that you should be doing. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, it's uh, sometimes it's difficult just to quantify these aspects, right? Especially, as you say, type A personality and, you know, you want to always gonna go hard, but uh, we all know that then it, it never ends well, right? That we have all the <laughs> stories about, you know, overtraining and burnout of athletes and, you know, CEOs that were, you know, on top of their game and then something happened. So I think what this uh, information can do to start with is just provide a little more awareness, you know, uh, understand a bit better uh, if there is more stress or not uh, for you and, you know, how that affects you and then indeed potentially make changes uh, which can benefit can benefit you in the in the longer term. Yeah. Okay. So we've talked a lot about how you can use your app with any smartphone to measure HRV. Um, there's a couple of other options out there that people are given. Um, I've just got an athlete who uses a Whoop strap, which pretty much tracks heart rate the whole time. I know a lot of athletes are using Garmin's, and Garmin have got a kind of, although they don't call it HRV, they do a kind of rest and recovery score type thing what are the drawbacks and positives of those other systems um that people might have access to straight away is it a case that sort of bad data is worse than no data yeah i would i would think so um i would say that you know it's uh hrv is something that is easy to mess up that's why it's also there is so much uh confusion around it uh and also why you know it, it took like 50 years for this to find some adoption, right? Because yeah. it's nothing new, right? We did not invent anything. There is, it's all based on you know things we knew already a long time ago. Uh, but it's just a bit easier to do. But at the same time, it's still easy to to mess it up. As I was saying before, you know, you have to do the measurement first thing in the morning. The other valid option is to do it during the night. So you know, you mentioned the whoop. There is also the ordering these devices that measure during the night. Uh, I would consider them valid devices because you know that's. Uh, that's a good time to capture this baseline physiological stress that we are interested in. Uh, same thing as the morning measurement that you can do with our app or with uh, other apps like the Elite HRV app, for example, uh, which you pair to a sensor, like a chest strap or a devil's a finger sensor that you can use. Uh, those are all good methods. Uh, in terms of wrist-based devices, which you can pair to an app, 
there, there are more limitations. I think uh, the only sensor I found that was uh, as good as a chest strap was this uh, Scotch Rhythm 24, which is used also for working out. Um, you placed on the arm, and uh, yeah, that's that's about it. Uh, some other devices, I think they might also be doing it right, but they are not maybe very transparent about what is happening or when it is measured or when it is uh, co what is it compared to with you know like um, is it you know compared to your data now compared to your night of data or is it your data now compared to your previous day's data? Like sometimes you just don't know what is happening there, and then I think it's it's a bit difficult to use that information to adjusting or guide training, for example. I'm not sure how it is uh, working in the in the Garmin devices, even though I know that they have a few features linked to this, also, also this new sort of battery level, I think they call it uh, like body battery uh, sort of feature related to stress. Um, so, you know, I'm sure there is some solid science behind that, but sometimes it's a bit difficult to understand exactly uh, how it is computed and then and then I would not generally advise to rely on something that we don't know exactly uh, how it's working just because you know then you're a bit uh, you know blind to whatever they are doing and then they send an update and it's different because you know the feature always changes and yeah. then uh, <laughs> you don't know what you're doing anymore. So you know just try to use something that you know exactly what it's doing or you can ask the company and they can explain it to you uh, but in general I, I think the most important thing about the measurement is really just to do something that can do it either in the night or first thing in the morning and that has been validated you know to be an accurate measurement of hrv yeah okay okay that makes a lot of sense all right so so your app the elite hrv one which needs like a finger sensor the whoop the aura ring um because yeah. of the consistency in in when it's collected you can be sure that there's a consistency in collecting your baseline but if you're not sure about that then it kind of makes the data a bit less reliable yeah, exactly. And I think all of these devices also, they report this RMSSD value, uh, which we use to compute our score and, you know, the other companies use to compute their score or just to show it as it is. So it's, it's also nice because, you know, it all starts from the same marker of stress. So you can, uh, you can, you can do things consistently, even if you at a certain point decide, you know, to change product for a reason or the other. Yeah. Okay. So moving away from moving away from training a little bit then. I obviously I came into this looking for a almost for a magic bullet that would allow me to say all right this is how I'm going to adjust. I've written a training plan, I've sketched it out over the next 20 weeks, but we obviously have to adjust it on a day by day basis. And I was looking for that magic bullet that would say to me, okay, don't go hard on this day because it would be you know be better off doing it on another day and it sounds like hrv is really useful for that but it also sounds like hrv measures stress in such a wide-ranging form across the entire spectrum of stress that your body might experience is it useful outside of training if we were to if we were to take it outside the realm of athletics entirely and we started talking about stressed out ceos of companies who you know end up going down with a heart attack at 55 because they don't have enough sleep they have a poor diet is the hrv a really good measurement of of sort of a holistic health almost in people like that yeah i would think so also you know you can see 
especially if you look at you know longer term trends and you know things change over time for a person in relation to stress um you know in, even in 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 many cases with uh, recreational or or even decent athletes you can see that as you mentioned before sometimes the largest factors are even not not training related so you know okay. you have um other stresses in your life things that worry you a lot and you see that uh the, that sort of chronic stress develops over time and your hiv is lower and lower um, and as a matter of fact, there is, you know, this technology is used in so many different applications as we have other apps that are like research versions, for example, that basically allow you to do the same simple measurement, but there is no training infrastructure around it and no interpretation is really for research studies and, you know, collaborate with all sorts of scientists working on, you know, psychological stressors, addictions, uh, you know, all sorts of factors that impact your physiology are relevant. Um, the challenge there, I would say, from the um, uh, the point of view of of the business, I would, uh, you know, of having a products that work in that space, is just that it's a bit more difficult to have the same kind of motivated individuals that would do this every right. day. You know, like the athletes from the recreational to the elite, they are really driven by their training and their objectives, and you know, they want to improve, and you know, they will wake up and take their measurements. It's a bit more difficult in, in other situations, or it could be just, uh, you know, that that it's uh, it's more complex to have someone sticking to the routine, and then capturing the data in a way that you know you have enough consistent measurements that you can actually use them to make um, to make uh, you know useful adjustments. Because you know, again, uh, I think we've moved away by now from the older way of doing it, which was like isolated measurements. Uh, far apart in time. Now you really want to do this daily so that you understand what's happening uh, to your body in relation to various stresses and make adjustments, which again uh, would work with your response to any sort of stressor, no, not only training. Okay. And okay, so if we're if we're accepting that HIV is a really good measure of the stress that we're under, can we reverse engineer it and sort of come up with a couple of things people can do? to like what would be the biggest impact on somebody's somebody's body and hrv to, to get them back into optimal shape ready to train or just not to be under stress is it is it sleep is it diet i mean for example what what effect does a couple of good nights of extra sleep have on somebody's hrv yeah that's a that's a great question actually i think that's a highly individual but for sure sleep is one of the largest factors um, and again, it doesn't mean that, you know, you have a poor night of sleep and then yeah, you cannot do anything, right? Again, there's people, there's people that can handle that very well. There's people that can even go a couple of nights with poor sleep and then still physiologically nothing bad happens, let's say. Uh, or you can have people that, you know, just one poor night and their skull is very suppressed and it's already, you know, good time to to try not to overdo it that day. So I think, you know, the, the data also gives you an insight of on how a particular individual would respond. So it's a, that's a good starting point. And then, as you mentioned, you know, diet and any other factor uh, will have an impact there. Okay. And does, does drinking alcohol have a, an immediate yeah. noticeable effect or day after effect on your HRV? Yeah, for sure. That's probably one of the largest acute effects. You know, when we talk about this acute stressors, it just means the stressor that 
you know has an impact in the next 24 48 hours yeah and alcohol is one of the largest um same as getting sick you know those have, have like such a large effect on your physiology that it's one of the things that you can most easily capture when you do your daily measurements and it makes you think a bit you know wow that's such a difference it's like way worse than you know those three weeks of high intensity training i did so it makes you really think a bit about it. yeah in terms of resting heart rate even just you don't even need to look at hrv but your your resting heart rate is highly elevated um by you know I would say excessive alcohol consumption, but without going crazy, uh, you know, doesn't mean if you have, you know, a glass of wine or a beer, you might have zero impact on your baseline physiology. Uh, but if, you know, there's one too many, I think that you can capture that quite easily. Right. So, so one beer, one glass of wine, not really a big deal. Two or three beers or glass of wine, big deal. It, it, it affects, yeah, right. We had some data also from a user that shared this, uh, that he analyzed his own data in response to this. A good athlete was, you know, two hours and 25 marathon runner and is like 47. So, you know, not yeah. bad. Wow. Uh, <laughs> and, and he travels a lot for work. He's like, was a very busy professional. And he put together this uh, slide of when he has like maybe two or three glasses of wine instead of one. Uh, and you could see that the HRV is exactly the same when he has one glass. But there is a clear suppression in the other situations. So, you know, it gives you also an insight on how you handle that. Right. Wow. Okay. I don't think people are going to like listening to the answer, but I guess science is science. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just non, don't measure the January 1st. You know, it's just the day you don't want to measure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so once an athlete's tracking their HLV regularly, what are the top couple of sort of simple actionable things that they can do with the data to optimize the training on a on a day-to-day and a week-to-week basis so i think the first one is really this uh this idea of scaling down intensity on on days in which uh, your your scores are suppressed uh but i wouldn't start just with that you know when when you start i would really just look at the data you know understand how you respond as an individual to what you're doing. I think there is a first phase, which I would call like sort of an awareness phase, you know, and you learn a bit about how you handle the different stressors, training, uh, again, alcohol or whatever it is, you know, uh, traveling if you have, you know, someone that used to travel a lot before the world changed (laughs) and and things like that. Um, So you look at all of these things um, and you see how your body responds and, and you learn something from that for sure. And then when you want to start implement changes, I would say the first thing is, you know, to learn to scale down intensity a bit or to give priority to recovery uh, in general, not just with training. Uh, when, you know, data is suppressed and there is a sign that there is more stress on the body because that's probably not a good idea to add significantly significantly more stress at that point which again would just uh impair you know longer term recovery and performance yeah okay and so i guess that the big takeaway here for me has been i love that study you sent through that just showed look if we get two controlled groups the only difference between them is one of them follows a rigid training plan and the other one simply reduces some of the hard work that they do on the days they're not ready for it that group that does less improves more simply i mean that suggests that hammering your body on a day when it's not ready has a negative effect rather than just like a just like a a, a no effect actually 
holds you back, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if you ask me, like, even if you were not to see uh, a performance improvement in this study and they would perform the same, still you've gained something because you did not do all that training that would actually lead to even no improvement with respect to not doing it, right? So uh, it's just, you know, it's just put yourself at higher risk of, you know, all sorts of things from injury to overtraining and then for no gain just because, uh, yeah, we all know that, you know, periodization and all of that is important to provide the right stimulus at the right time. But, you know, the right time might also require to understand when your body is ready to assimilate that stimulus regardless of, you know, the fact that you scheduled three easy days in a row, right? It might be that still your body is not ready yet and, and that's individual. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose this is especially important at the moment in the, this time of pandemic and everyone's trying to trying to manage the life as, as best they can and probably are under a lot more stress on a day to day basis. It can be very, you know, it's a common story that I hear that people kind of want to get the stress of their day out by going and training really hard. And, and there's this balancing act between I feel better after I've done a hard session please coach don't make me just do an easy or a moderate session i feel better after it what can we learn from using hrv at the moment particularly do you think to help people you know either not get sick or just to manage the training through this period yeah i think that's very typical and uh, you know it's uh, it's difficult at the same time i think it gives us again an insight on how also we are handling this situation you know i've seen it also in our data here you know we had weeks that particularly down you know lockdown inside and you don't go anywhere you know it's and it affects your physiology and maybe it's a good idea then yeah to do your training but not go crazy about it uh, and you can also do your intensity, but again, maybe you do a bit less, you know, less reps or shorter reps. You can do a lot of things still to get maybe that mental benefit even uh, without uh, really, um, you know, getting your body in trouble, let's yeah. say. Uh, and, you know, as an overall market of stress, I think this can help us also balancing things, especially as, you know, as you pick up training again, maybe now a few countries are opening up again. People can, even in Italy next week, people will be allowed, for example, to train outside again, uh, not um, just within 100 meters of their home. So, you know, a lot of people will go out and, and do crazy things. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, it's probably a good idea then, you know, to to look at the data and see, uh, you know, now everything becomes again a new, uh, you know, a, a novel stimulus that you're not used to, you know, because it's going to be uh, again higher volume and higher intensity with respect to the very low levels of these weeks. Um, so, you know, check how you respond and you know maybe take an extra day off between sessions and things like that. I think the tools can help you balance things uh, a bit better. Yeah. And I think that is that's a real that's a real danger that we don't necessarily consider so much here in the UK because relatively our sort of in inverted commas lockdown has been so mellow compared to places like Spain and Italy where people have literally not been allowed to go more than a hundred yeah. meters from the house. Um I suppose the danger is in those countries, like you say, people are just gonna be so pent up and ready to go, it'll be like the first day I'm allowed out the door, I'm riding a hundred miles. <laughs> Yeah, most likely it's going to happen and we will not be able to stop them with this podcast. <laughs> yeah. 
well, maybe that they start tracking HRV now and then, then it gives us something extra to uh, to help moderate the the danger to themselves aspect as much as the I just need to get outside and, and do something yeah. fun and crazy again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, the worst thing that can happen is that you get injured now that you can be outside, right? So yeah. you yeah. still want to take it easy. <laughs> we still want to train so we can train again tomorrow. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. All right. So listen, let's uh, let's wrap this up, Dad, just giving you a bit of a plug for your app then. Tell us tell us where it is and how easy it is to get hold of and where we can get it from. All right. So you can find information on uh, hrv4training.com and, you know, it's on the Apple Store and Google Play. So easy to find. Uh, allows for the camera-based measurements. So normally you don't need anything else, uh, any hardware. Uh, you know, provides a lot of insights on, you know, aerobic, uh, capacity and all sort of, um, let's say, training-derived uh, metrics that could also help you track progress with that, with respect, you know, to your physiology and your capacity to handle stress. And uh, yeah, there is a lot of information on the website, short guides, um, blog posts, and we are also available, you know, via email if there is any questions or, or any doubts, we can try to help. Awesome. Hey, well, listen, I, I just want to end by thanking you. I think what you've got here is you've got a really great product. The athletes that we've had a group of about 15 of them from the guys I coach, not sort of trialing it, but using it on a day by day basis and feeding back. And all of them have got something positive from it. All of them have found that there's days when it's guided them to back off on days when they otherwise would have would have pushed forward. And I think you've done a great job of turning it into something that something that's very complicated and turning it into something that makes sense for certainly for my simple little brain and and gives us extra guidelines to help people train safer and to train in a more efficient way so uh so yeah thanks very much man thanks very much for your time thank you thanks a lot for having me cheers buddy all right guys i hope you enjoyed the interview i think um i think marco did a great job there of explaining hrv and why it can be so useful for us and his his app again hrv for training you can find that on the app store and the google store it's only about 10 quid and i think it's 10 pounds really really well spent the really interesting thing for me to take away from that was scientific studies backing up the idea that not only is it not worth training hard on days when your body isn't physiologically ready to train hard it's actually gonna in the long term it's gonna make your performance worse than training easy on those days it's not like it's a a net nothing if you don't listen to your body and you train hard on the days when the markers are saying don't train you're actually you're going to be doing worse in your races down the line than it, than if you did no training at all and that's something that I've often suspected might be the case and it's amazing to get the science to get that backed up and really you know on the one hand to give people permission to go easy when they're feeling tired but also to to sort of make it really clear and plain to people it's necessary to do that you're not doing yourself any favors by forcing yourself up at four o'clock in the morning and, and sort of making yourself get it done smashing yourself at a time when your body isn't physiologically ready to do it there's a smarter way around this and if you use a smart way you're going to be faster come race day and who knows you're going to have a more balanced life you're going to have a healthier body because of it as well all right so listen that brings us to the end of this week's episode i hope you've enjoyed listening to it thanks very much to our sponsors some bonus uh, some bonus discounts here for you you get 15 percent off your first order with precision hydration with the code oxygen addict 15 
You can get 10% off all subscriptions at thriver.co with their at-home personalized finger prick blood test. Use the code OxygenAddict10 there for 10% off. And if you're looking for triathlon coaching, remember we've got that special offer on at the moment where if you join any time during the month of May and you join as an annual member, we're going to extend your membership all the way through to the end of September 2021. So that's like an extra, what, four or five months, something like that, depending on when you actually join. So that makes it tremendous value. And it also helps you plan all the way through to the end of next season. And perhaps I'm thinking... That's something that you can do for yourself right now is look at the long term, plan all the way through to the end of September 2021. That'll make it a lot less feeling like we're missing out on 2020. Reset your goals, reset your targets and look at it as like a 15 or 16 month plan leading to those events next summer 2021 when hopefully things will be back to normal. So remember there's links to all of these in the show notes uh, so you don't have to remember them. Until next week, have a great safe training and racing week. I'm Coach Rob Wilby and you've been listening to the Oxygenetic Triathlon Podcast. See ya. See ya.